Great job. Thank you guys very much. Amazing how God gifts us and talents us, isn't it? Just an overflow of praise and uh, all the glory of God. Thanks, you guys, very much. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. If you would turn there with me, the book of Colossians chapter 2, or actually chapter 3, we'll start there. We'll go backwards to chapter 2, okay? So Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 12 in just a moment. Um, one of the things I, I just felt convicted to share more of uh, was, was why, why we're doing this marriage conference. Um, I don't know that it really needs a lot of explanation why we would do a marriage conference, because it's tough to be married. Can I get an amen? It's, it's tough work uh, with two self-centered sinners come together and try to live happily ever after. That's just, it almost doesn't work, right? Um, and a lot of times it, it doesn't. A lot of times marriages fail and there's turmoil. And, and we're going we're gonna to look a little bit at that today. But what I, I was on my heart today to really talk about was not so much all the tools and techniques and steps to peace in a marriage, but just overarching in relationships in general, talking about our friendships, talking about people we work with, our coworkers, uh, talking about certainly our, our, our spouses, the marriage relationship we have. Uh, what, what, what kind of feeds that? What helps, what helps me get to those point, that point where I can, I can start to work on it in, in the right way? You know, I think we're littered with books everywhere and magazines everywhere and articles everywhere about the newest fad or the newest thing or the next five steps to a better marriage. And, and we, sometimes we buy into that thinking if I, if I grab this book or if I get this article and I, I do these five things, it's all going to work out just fine. It's going to be great. Right, my marriage is going to be awesome. I got to, got to put put in the hard work and, and get it done. Now, I'm not saying it, it's not hard work, and we don't have to put in hard work. But it, our marriages, if they're if they're going to succeed, and our relationships, family, friends, whatever it might be, if they're going to succeed, have to have something else as a precursor before we get get at this place of hard work. So today we're going to look kind of at the precursor of all the hard work. So I'll tease you a little bit with that. And and, and the marriage conference is set up to give us some tools. Right, that, that give us tools of hard work. Of here's how, how to be married, and here's how to communicate, and here's how to fight well, and, and all, all of those things uh, will be tools to give you. But today we're going to be looking at kind of the, the overarching theme of it all when it comes to you and I relating with other people and, and uh, how, how are we to relate to other people. We're tying it in with uh, the theme of the book of Ruth. We, we talked about that, you know, months ago we went through the book of Ruth. And we talked about God's uh, unconditional, never-ending, enduring, faithful love, right? We call it the what? The Hesed love of God, right? And and it's it's deep. There's it's complex. Even today, as I went to write this this sermon and as I went to title it, uh, the original title was God's covenant keeping grace, His covenant keeping grace. And I just like you know it's it's more than that. We're talking about love, and I, I went to grace because here's what happens with the word love. In our culture, love just gets associated with my feelings and emotions and the butterflies, and, and I, can, I can grow in love with somebody, and I can, what, fall out of love with somebody. And that doesn't represent well at all the love of God. Amen? God's love is, is way deeper than that. So even going that route, we're going to be careful, and I'm going to kind of call that out on the carpet a little bit later on. When we look at God's hesed love, this faithful, enduring, grace-filled, covenant-keeping love, this enduring love that's, that's from forever to forever, we see a, a, a much more complex and a rich, deep love that he has for us. And that deep love is what he is challenging us to t- not only take and embrace as our own, but then to display in our relationships with others. So it's not so much about the warm and fuzzies anymore. It's about actually putting in the work of enduring, faithful, covenantial, gracious love because Christ has first loved us that way. Amen? That's what we're going to look at today. 
So we're looking at this, this relationship, uh, how relationships kind of interact, and, and how the Hesed love of God informs our own love and, and challenges our own love for others. We're going to look at several different aspects of this covenant-keeping, gracious love. And I, I realize this is tough stuff. I realize it's, it's tough to do. But I, I need you to stay with me. I, I think it's going to be beneficial for us as we get to the end of this and, and think about the season of time to go into a marriage conference. And, and uh, by the way, I, I would hope that all married couples would mark that time off on their calendar and make that one Saturday a priority. Right? If, you, if your marriage is, is stinking right now, you need to be there. If your spouse doesn't want to go, well, you need to be there. If your marriage is doing awesome right now, well, you need to be there. Because we need people that have awesome marriage as an example that we can see and, and follow as you follow Christ. We want to we grow in that. We're going to need that, as, and, and we're going to be iron sharpening iron and, and to see God win in our relationships with our spouse. It's, it's going to be a, a profound time. I really hope you'll sign up for that. You can see Alistair at the kiosk afterwards for more information about it. And, uh, and please take that time. Uh, you know, lunch will be provided, lots of different, different video curriculum, discussion time, prayer time. Uh, it's going to be very fruitful, uh, I feel, that weekend. All right, let's go ahead and pray. And we'll get started in Colossians chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithful love for us. And God, it's not just this warm and fuzzy, oh, he loves us. It's, oh, wow, you love us with a faithful, enduring, gracious, covenantal, steadfast, merciful, redemptive, providing love. And God, we want to embrace that. We want to embrace that every single day. So God, it would change our hearts. So God, today as we go to your scriptures, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that, we, that we'd be receptive to what the Holy Spirit is going to do in us and through us, that you would challenge us and convict us, that you would shape us into the image of Christ, God, that we would repent and run to you. We want to be yours, and we want you to be fully ours, and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 12, we're going to read through verse 19. By the way, as we, as we do this, I say this a lot when I'm talking about relationships and marriages in particular, um, not a good time to be elbowing your spouse. Hey, you listening to this? You need to wake up and listen to this. That party said about, no, no, this is, this, when we come to the word, certainly we want it to inform us first, right? We want it to, to be here and, and then we can spill over into our relationships in a grace-filled way. But right now, the word of God is for you, okay? It's for you individually and for me individually. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Yeah, let's stop there. There's, there's a lot more there you can read. And I, wanna, I added in verse 20 because I think it's very important. 
children, this is relating, your relationship to your parents is important too as we talk about this. Um, so what we're going to look at today is, is several different aspects of this covenantal, gracious love of God and, and, and how that applies not only to us vertically, we're going to start here, but then how it applies horizontally. And I, I want us to understand it, it has to go that way. Unless we get this right first, we can't do this right. And, and most of us spend most of our lives working as hard as we can on this without putting much effort into this, okay? And that's, that's doing that backwards. You know, one of the other things about marriage, I'll say this about, about marriage. Um, this is the time of, uh, of the season of, of graduations, right? A lot of graduations going on. And, and we've, I've, I've watched several of them and seen kids go across the stage and grab their, their empty diploma because they're not quite done with school, right? But they, they grab their diploma, they, their, their certificate that says, you've accomplished all of this schooling. You've done well. You've exceeded. You've passed with a grade. You've studied hard. You, way, way to go. And, and next week, by the way, we're honoring dads and grads. It's Father's Day next week, and we'll honor graduates as well. Um, interesting, though, that, that to get a high school diploma, you have to go through 12, pretty much 13 years of schooling, right? You have to work hard and, and study hard and, and to get that diploma. And so you can say, I, I've achieved something, right? Or if you want to go to the next level, go to college. In order to get your degree, you've got to attend the classes and you've got to study hard and you've got to put in the work and put in the time and learn and, and test and show that you've learned those things. Then you get your associates, right? Or your bachelor's or your master's or your whatever it might be, your doctorate. You, you have to work hard at that, right? Isn't it amazing in this day and age, we treat marriage like it's easy. No, marriage, anyone could get married. I don't need to have schooling in that. I don't need to have training in that. Most of us entered into our marriages with zero training, with zero information about it. And now we're wondering, why is this so hard? Well, we haven't really studied it hard. We haven't really found what, what does it mean to be married? What does it mean to be in a relationship with someone that, that's supposed to last until God separates us, right? What God has joined together, let no man separate. What does that mean? How, and how do we do that? So putting in the effort, putting in time, putting in time to that relationship so you can study hard and, and, and show that you, you've, you've done work in order to sustain it is, is very important. That's part of the reason we have a marriage conference. It's part of the reason we have each other to learn from. And I think that's, that's one of the things we, ways we've learned, right? We've learned, most of us have learned or had an opportunity to learn from either example by good parents or example of bad parents of what not to do. And, and that's, that's a tough place, right? Some of us start marriages by saying, well, I'm going to get married and I'm not going to do that. Well, what are you going to do? Not that. Okay, well, what are you going to do? We don't know. So there's a depth and complexity to, to relationships. Would I get an amen to that? That's, it, it's tough there, and we need to put some work into it. Um, but, but the work has to start with us in our own heart. That's what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing, number one, the first aspect we're talking about of covenantal uh, gracious love or covenant-keeping love is a canceled debt. A canceled debt. It's really important for us to understand this vertical relationship is where we have to start before we can go this direction. And for us to come into a home with a, that we married a self-centered sinner, right? And, and I don't say that like, oh, I, I married a self-centered sinner. I am a self-centered sinner who married a self-centered sinner. And for me to come into a home and expect like, oh, this is going to be fine. Just she'll listen to what I say and I'll, I'll you know, listen to her when she has a complaint and we'll, we'll make it work is fooling ourselves. There, there is a, a, a vertical relationship that has to be intact for a marriage to properly function this way, amen? 
We have to get this right before we can get this right. And far too often, this is what culture does, this is what America does, this is what everyone does, even Christians who say they don't want to do this, we work really hard at trying to do this the best we can. And we forgot where that should have came from. We forgot that he's the source. Right? When I come to my house and, and I, I'm, I'm angry about something, or, I, or you know, I'm going to even verbalize it, right? It might just be down deep, that bitterness. And we, we read a verse earlier about bitterness. When that bitterness is inside or that anger or that frustration or that expectation wasn't met and I'm just, right? I'm not thinking about how Jesus forgave me. I'm not thinking about how Jesus loved me and how, how great he is and how amazing his forgiveness and love that he's lavished on me through Christ on the cross. That's what he did for me to lay, lay himself down for me. I'm thinking about, I'm mad and I, I, I'm owed something different here. I've got to get some perspective. Right? And it's, it's okay to have frustrations. It's okay to, to even have some, some holy indignation about what's happening in your home or with your relationship. But we have to get some perspective. We have to go to the Lord and say, look, look how he's treated me. Was, was there ever an opportunity where the Lord could be a little angry at me? Yeah. There some time where I didn't meet the expectations of the Lord? Yeah. Where he may, he may have a problem with, with what I'm doing or how I'm acting? Absolutely. What did he do? He went to the cross and nailed it there so that I could come to him and be free and love and I could, I could serve and, and let him be my, my all in all. That's, that's God. That's what he wants to do. So the first one is canceled debt. And I want to read, go to Colossians. We're in Colossians. Go to chapter 2, just the page before, the column before. Let's get perspective here. Verses 13 and 14. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. That's That's beautiful. A beautiful display. It says this, you and I were once what? Dead because of our sin. The things we'd done wrong and against God, the ways we disappointed him and not, not hit the mark, we were dead. We, we were separated from God forever because of that. We were dead and then, and then Jesus made a way and he said he, he, Jesus made us alive with him and forgave us. So we once were dead and now we're what? Alive. See, there's a joy that has to start in our hearts because there's a healing that's happened, because there's a wholeness now that's happened, because Christ made us alive when we were once dead. That our sin had separated us from God and that we deserved everything that we had coming to us. But what Christ has accomplished on the cross has made a way. He said in verse 14, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Isn't that beautiful? But it's deep, and it's rich, and it's vibrant, and you and I have to treasure that. You know, it's summertime now, and, and school's over, and you know, we're trying to make it our home. Bedtime's still the same time. You know, Mom and Dad want to have some time without the, and you need to go to sleep, and like, so we try to have bedtime at the normal time. Last night, it, it doesn't, it's not strict, strict, because there's no school the next day. So we go, I go to the room, and, I, and Wesley's in there, and Bailey's in there. I think Mathia was feeding the horses or something outside, doing chores there. And I went inside and started putting the kids down. And I'm, I'm just laying on the bed, and Bailey and Wesley are there, and I'm reading them a story. And then, then I, I want to tell them a story. So I start telling them. I just felt like, you know, looking through this, I want them to know this amazing, amazing love that God has for them. And we share that. We talk about that. But I, I just, I'm like, I'm going to tell you this story again. I want to tell you a story. And I told us, I started the story. I mean, in the beginning, God created us. He got, God created Adam and Eve, and he created this wonderful place for us to be and that we could be with him 
forever. We could walk with him and talk with him, that he loved us and he cherished that relationship that we could have with him. And he just gave us, gave us a rule. He, he wanted us to love us. He gave us some boundaries, right, because that's what a good dad does. And he says, don't eat of that tree. You don't want to go there. We don't want to go down that rabbit hole, right? He said, don't eat of that tree, and if you do, you'll surely die. And we, we're talking about this story, and, oh, and then they're like, oh, and the snake, Daddy, the snake. Tell us about the snake. Yeah, we're getting to that, right? And I said, the snake came along one day. And Adam and Eve were out there in the garden, and, and the snake came up and, and challenged and said to Eve, did God really say not to eat this? Well, yeah, God said not to do that. And, and, and she, she, the kids are like, the snake's lying. The snake's a liar. Yes, the snake's a liar. Good, the snake's a liar. And, and yeah, he lied to Eve and tricked Eve. And, and Adam was standing there watching. He did nothing. He should have been leading. He didn't lead. He's watching there. And they took the fruit and they ate it. And when they took the fruit and ate it, sin entered the world and death entered the world. By his one sin, that, that changed everything. The relationship that man had with God, they couldn't have with God anymore. And God, God's heart was broken because of that. So what happened? And I said, well, I just went on. They wanted to know more about the stake. So I said, listen, here's what God said. God came along and found them. They were hiding. And God said, where, where are you? Where are you? Well, we hid because we, we were ashamed. We were naked and ashamed. We realized that we were sinful and we needed to be covered. And he, and he made, this, made this promise there. And I brought the snake back in, right? He says, God told the snake, he said, you know what? You might have you won today. You might have bruised the heel. And, but I'm, I'm going to make a way out of the seed of the woman. I'm going to provide a rescuer that's going to crush the snake's head. My, my kids were pretty excited about that. They liked that. All right, yay, the snake, he's going to get it. But I, I went in and talked. I said, you know, you know who that is, you guys, right? You know who that, that rescuer is? And that's the question I ask my kids all the time when we tell our stories. That storybook Bible I, I read through a couple weeks ago, right? It's just a common thread through that is Jesus and the redemption, the rescue. It's amazing, amazing stuff. And I always, I always ask my daughter, who are they talking about? Who are they talking about? It's God's plan, a rescue plan. Who, who's he talking about? Jesus. That's right. That's Jesus. I said, you know what? Jesus came. He came down. Although he existed before we ever were created and he, everything was created by him, he came down to earth to live as a man and to, and to go and die on a cross. And you know why he died there? He died there and she said, for our sins. Yeah, but you know what that means? It means that you and I, we deserved to die there. That was the punishment we should have had. I can see the kind of the wheels returning a little bit, and I'm thinking, well, what, what are they thinking here? And so I said, think about it this way, Bailey. I said, Let, let's say this. Let's say you got in trouble, and Daddy said, you're in trouble, and, I, and here's the consequences. And, and what if Brother came over and said, Dad, don't, don't, don't punish her. Punish me instead. I'll take the punishment instead. She's like, that's silly. Why would he do that? <laughs> exactly. Why would he do that? Because that shows how great his love is for us. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We, we sinned and we, we deserved to die on a cross. But Jesus came down and said, you know what? Let me take the punishment for you. I want to die there instead so you don't have to. And my daughter is a pretty tough, tough gal, but you can see like she, she starts to hide behind her arm. And she clenches her teeth. And what's she trying to do? Not show that she's about to lose it right, to cry, and tears just well up in her heart, like understanding there's a couple levels of understanding going on, right, and we're trying to let, we want our kids to know Jesus, we want our kids to have faith in Jesus, we want them to trust Christ as Savior, but that's a process and a time, and that, that faith journey is, is a heart journey as well, 
It's not just a once and done thing. So we, we continue to share. And she's right at that age of six years old, you know, trying to think, is, is she ready yet? Is she not ready? We'll, we'll see where she's at. But she starts welling up in her eyes with tears. And she knew, like, like I, why did Jesus have to die? Why did, why did he die? Like, like, that was so deep and so amazing and so rich, right? But understanding that, that Bailey, he died because you should have died. He died because Daddy should have died there. And that's what he did for us. He, he's accomplishing. He's, he's doing that so he could erase all the things we've done wrong. He's doing that so he could make us totally clean and pure. He's doing that so we could be with him in heaven forever if we would have faith and believe in him and his sacrifice. Isn't that rich? It's rich to a six-year-old and a three-year-old. It's rich to a 30-year-old. It's rich to a 70-year-old. It's rich to all of us. And we forget that. We forget the depth of this canceled debt that Jesus has done for us. He took your record he took it and he said, here's the list. Here's what you've done wrong. This is what I have against you. This is why you deserve to die. And instead of waving it in his face, what God did is he put it in Jesus' hand and ran a nail through it on the cross and said, I'm canceling the dead. If you would believe, if you would trust in my righteousness, I will make you totally clean. And that's what Jesus offers. That's the good news. That's what we have joy because of. It's not because of our own works, our own efforts. And we spend our whole lives spinning our wheels trying to earn God's favor. And God says, you stop doing that. I already did it right there for you. The cross accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished. Psalm 49 says this in verses 5 through 9. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. They, this foes, right? So the psalmist is writing about his foes who surround him and their sin is all around him. And he's like, why should I fear? They trust in their wealth and boast in their abundant riches. We do that. My status, my accomplishments, look how good I am. Look at what I've accomplished today. Verse 7 says, yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. Your good works, your good deeds, your accomplishments, your riches cannot pay the price. And verse 8 says, since the price of redeeming him is too costly. He goes on and says, one should forever stop trying. Stop trying. Forever stop trying. So you and I, like if we, if we want to apply this to relationships, we can. We'll get there. But we have to start in this place of you and me and Jesus, right? About my relationship to Jesus. It's not this, I need to strive, work, work, work hard and hopefully he'll, I'll earn his approval. It's like, Brandon, I took care of it. I nailed it to the cross. It's canceled. There's nothing you could do to pay your own way. There's nothing you can do to accomplish it on your own. It's worthless. And the psalmist shifts gear. He said they were trusting in their wealth, but he's, he's shifting, saying, listen, there's something else to trust in. That's not where the trust goes. That's misplaced. He says later on, he says, you should forever stop trying. Your trust in stuff is worthless. Your trust needs to go somewhere else. He says, so that, you stop trying so that you may live forever and not see the pit. When do, we, when do we enter that relationship with Jesus? When we give it up. We say, I'm done. I give up everything. I come to you empty with nothing else. And I'm going to trust you alone to be my Savior. You alone and your finished work alone to cover my sin. And see, that's what God does. He, he justifies us. He, 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 there's an acquittal that happens. Like the sins that you had against you, that charge that was against you, was canceled by nailing it to the cross. Done. It's gone. And you're totally forgiven. It's It's forgotten. It, you're totally clean, and that righteousness is what now surrounds us to make us totally clean. So when we stand before God, he doesn't see that list of wrongs. It was nailed to the cross. What he sees is Jesus and the robe of righteousness, of Christ's righteousness that's wrapped around us. We are now clean. That's a, all about a canceled debt. You talk about a covenantal, gracious love that God has for us. That's it. It's found in a, in a 
right? Uh, it's found in a canceled debt from Jesus. I want to read one more passage out of Romans. Turn that with me, Romans chapter 4. Some of you might think, like, well, what, what does this have to do with relationships, Brandon? I'd say, or marriage, right? It, it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. If we don't get this, we're never going to get this. If we don't get this, this love that God has had for us and the way he's canceled our debt and forgiven us and extended mercy and grace and enduring love on us, we'll never be able to do that this way. We have to understand it first from above. We'll look at this in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. What then will we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Well, in Abraham, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. Do we understand that? We all get that. To the one who works, you're given your payment. What's owed? Not a gift. That paycheck, that paycheck, by the way, is not a gift from your employer. You worked hard for that, and they gave it to you. That job and that pay might be a gift from God, but that paycheck you earned. So if we're, we're thinking about works and working and earning our way to, to, to God, it's not going to happen. It's, it's what we get what's owed. But, in verse 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous... So there's someone that can make the ungodly righteous. And, and to the one who doesn't put a lot of work in and trying to earn that, but just acknowledges it by faith, it says his faith then is credited for righteousness. It's amazing, isn't it? With the give up, there's this the sense of, like, I've, I've got to stop trying so hard and go back to the basics and just surrender myself to Jesus and trust that he did all the work and that he is going to do a work in me as well. So we have to look at the canceled debt of covenant-keeping gracious love. The next aspect I want to look at is number two, glad dependence of covenant-keeping gracious love. Glad dependence of covenant-keeping gracious love. That's number two. So this, this moves forward. So we've, we've now understood and experienced and realized that the, the debt that was, that was owed, right, was nailed to Jesus, nailed to the cross, and he's canceled that debt for those of us who have faith and believe in Jesus Christ. We trust him as Savior. He's canceled it. It's gone. How amazing is that? Can I get a hallelujah on that one? He's cleaned us. He's cleansed us. We're, we don't have to hold, be held accountable now before God for that. It's done. Now there should be, though, a glad dependence inside of us. Are you glad about that? Are you excited about that? Do you have joy and, and do you well up with tears of absolute amazement in Jesus because of what he's done for you? See, that's the fruit of that transaction is this joy and this contentment, this change of heart that I've had because of Jesus. Going back to Colossians, if you go back there with me. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. So if, if you have been raised with Christ. So let's stop there. If. This is, what this is presuming is that you have a transforming faith in Jesus Christ, that your faith in Christ and the canceled debt he offered has now been applied to you. And you can stand in victory before Jesus because of Jesus and what he's accomplished for you. That you have a saving faith. If you, if you, haven't, if you don't have a saving faith, you need to get one. You need to exhibit one. You need to have trust in Christ to let him forgive you. You need to believe the gospel and be saved. 
You need to cry out to him in your despair. I, I told my daughter that last night. I'm like, listen, Bailey, this, this is about you going to God and just believing and trusting in faith that he's done that and asking him to, to, and, and receiving that gift he's offering you. Saying, God, I want that. I want you to forgive me. I want, I want to be yours. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. I want that. That's what we have to do. And that's what you can do. But if you don't, you don't, you don't qualify for the if. But if you have, here's if. Here's what happens. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There is a, a glorious picture here, and sometimes we don't ca capture this. Here's what it's saying. If and since you have been raised with Christ, there is newness inside of you. And we see that all throughout Scripture. Tons of that would harmonize. It goes on and says, seek then the things above. That our attitudes, our efforts, our, our whole mindset would be transformed and changed into the, into the mind of Christ. That we would embrace Jesus. And that's the way we would go. That's the direction we would go. And our hearts would be changed. Our minds, the way we think, would be changed. And, and because of the joy we have in Christ. It goes on to set your mind on things above. There are things above that we need to grab onto. Not things of culture, not things of the world, not things that people say are okay. But the things above, because there's this joy we have and this glad dependence we have of God's covenant-keeping, gracious love. It goes on, it says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your life is. It's safe and secure there. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, in him we live and move and what? We have our being. Christ. See, there's this gladness that we have to have because of his covenant-keeping, gracious love for us. I want to read one more passage out of Romans chapter 4. If you want to turn back there. And meanwhile, I want you to understand this, this whole idea of this gladness in God, this hope in God. It, it comes because this, Romans 8.1 says what? There, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. What does it mean? It means this. You don't have to wonder anymore. When you come to faith in Christ, you don't have to wonder anymore, am I good enough? No, you never were. You'll never be. Only He makes you good enough. It's not on you, it's on Him to do that. And He sealed it in His blood on the cross. Romans 4, we're continuing the passage we had uh, a few minutes ago, talking about Abraham and his righteousness. So there's this, this, work, in, this work present, right? And, and no, we saw that, that it was not by work, it was by faith in, in the finished work of Christ. And then it goes on in verse number uh, 6, it says this, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So he's kind of giving a precursor. He's, Paul's saying, listen, Romans, there's, a, there's a, a blessing we see here. There's this gladness. There's this joy. It's not just that you were saved by his work. It's that because you were saved, you have joy and happiness. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4. He says this, Blessed are those, blessed or happy, are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed or happy is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Are you happy? Is there a gladness in you? Is there a gladness that's welled up in you because of God's covenant-keeping, gracious love? See, it has to start here. 
has to start that he's canceled the dead and that I've embraced him fully in faith and that as I've embraced him, he's welled up in me this happiness and joy because he's canceled my debt. And I can live forever different because of Jesus now. Are you happy that your debt's been canceled? Or do you need to cry out like I do at times, say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Renew a willing spirit within me. That's what we have to have, right? So gladness, it's glad dependence on the covenant-keeping, gracious love of God. And after that, after number one and two, after we have seen this canceled debt and experienced this canceled debt, after he's welled up joy inside of our heart, we can go to number three. Number three is this. We are to practically display covenant-keeping grace or covenant-keeping gracious love. We need to practically display that. What does that look like? Well, Colossians 3. Let's go to verse, verse number 12. We read this at the beginning. Here's, here's where it fits now in the middle. Let's look at, look at how this is displayed. In view of our canceled debt, in view of being made glad in God and what he's accomplished for us on our behalf and a saving faith that we've expressed in Christ, in view of that, that's where we get now to verse 12. You ready? Verse 12 says this. We're going to go through 19. Therefore, in view of all that, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called into one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, so stop there, verse 15, after verse 15. We've just talked about this immeasurable display, this amazing display that you and I should be able to, to put on. This is the hard work, but we can only do it because, the, the therefore, since we have been made right with God, since he's canceled our debt, since he's increased the joy and gladness in our hearts of that canceled debt and our joy and gladness in him, now we can only put these on. Have you, have you been spinning your wheels this way? Trying as hard as you can to work as hard as you can with your faith or your marriage and your, your relationships? You might be missing something, right? you got to have this. And then you put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And you can bear with one another and forgive and put on love. And then I want to I be clear about something here. When we talk about a home or a relationship, it's not all just the lovey-dovey, passive kind of love that we, we see in people. Putting on compassion is good and patience and humility. Those are things we need to do and forgiving one another. But there is more to it than that, isn't there? See, here's what happens. You think about this in your home or in my home. I, I might come home and my, my feathers might be ruffled for some reason. And, and as much as I want, I, I want, I want Jesus, I want to re, you know, you know, understand and know that he's forgiven me and I need to forgive. But there is still a conversation to be had at home. It probably doesn't look like what we normally do, though. Right? It probably, we probably don't approach it very well. The conversation is still to be had coming out of a heart of compassion and humility and surrender to the Lord Jesus. It's not a proud moment. So listen, gentlemen, and listen, ladies, as we go forward, and we read a verse in a minute that talks about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands leading their wives, it's one of those like, well, that's, that's, that's old-fashioned. Let's not talk about that. No, it's real. It's in the Bible. God instructs us to do that. 
But it's at the end of this whole passage that has, in, has us figured out that we have our act together a little bit. That says, we love Jesus with all of our heart, and he's totally transformed our heart. We understand how greatly we have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And how much debt of our own he has canceled. And then out of that comes this, this gladness in God, this treasure that he is above all. And then in that I want to put on humility and compassion and gentleness and love and forgiveness. But our passage continues to go on in that as I do that, there is a place for conversation. There's a place for truth. There's a place for accountability still. It's not just as passive, well, they're really making me mad and they're probably sinning doing that, but I'm just going to love them anyway. That's not what Jesus did, did he? He did the hard work and he went to the cross. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And said, come to me and stop sinning. Come to me, have a life, and I'll change you. And stop sinning. And that might be a conversation that has to happen in your home, in your relationship, in your friendships. So here's what it looks like. Let's go on to that passage in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Is there a place for truth to be had? Absolutely. And I, I want to carry on. It says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What a great setup. What a great place. I'm like, whoa, that was deep. Now look, what's the next verse say? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. He goes on to say, say children, obey your parents. This is, this is so important. Why does it come at the end? It's not because it's less important. It's because God knows that we can't do this adequately if we haven't got this right first, the vertical. If we haven't clothed ourselves with compassion and kindness and gentleness. Here's, the, here's what the Bible does not say. I'm going to set up the household and the man's going to rule it all and you're going to do whatever he says, woman. That's not what it says. That's not, whoa, right? Whoa, we don't go there. We don't talk like that. But that's what people feel. They read this and say, that's what, that's what people, that's what Christians believe. That's not. That's not. We're going to see a parallel verse in a moment in Ephesians. This is way different. You, you know how, wives, you know how you can submit to your husbands? You know why you can submit to your husbands? Because he's had a transformation of heart from Jesus. And, he, and, he, and he, he's been forgiven of much, and he wants to for, show that forgiveness and kindness to you. But the surrender and submission, the reason you can really submit and surrender is because Jesus has modeled it for you when he submitted himself on the cross to, to God the Father. Ladies, you can submit to your husband because Jesus submitted himself. You have a great example of that. And your submission to your husband is a display of Christ's submission also. Men, you know you can love your wife and lead your wife and not be bitter against your wife. Because God has treated you that way, too. And only when we understand the reality of how deeply God has treated us that way can we do that with our spouse as well. You know, we, we could have a marriage conference and have all these 20 tips to this, 20 steps to this, and 15 to this, and get, you know, what, whatever. It has to start with you and Jesus. 
And that, that you and Jesus thing has to be an overflow into your relationships around you. It starts individually. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you would embrace his love for you and that, that love for, he has for you, that covenantal, enduring, gracious love that he has for you would overflow and you would display that not only to your husband or your wife, to your children and to your neighbors and to everyone around you in relationship. Not, not being passive, but having conversations still. But all the while loving Jesus and loving people like he loved you and I. That's how we can do it. That's how it's modeled there. There's this display that has to occur now. We have to display this to people. I want to read, I want to read uh, a quote to you. because you know, Here's what people will say. People will say, and we talked about it briefly at the beginning, you know, love, it's just fuzzy. And I almost, like I said, I almost didn't title this with anything love in it because love is such a warm and fuzzy kind of weird, nebulous definition. I can, I can fall in love. I can fall out of love. Whatever. Whatever I feel like. And that is not the model of the love of God. That is not it at all. So it has to start this way. And once we get this deep love, there's no falling out of love option with people around you. There's only loving people around you. Here's what John Piper says. Here's his quote. He, and he quoted this to something else, and I thought it was amazing this week, and I'm like, I'm going to apply it to this because it applies to everything. Here's what John Piper says. He says, Until God has become your treasure, until your own sin has become the thing you hate the most, until the word of God is your supreme authority that you feel to be more precious than gold and sweeter than honey, until the gospel of Christ's death in your place is the most precious news in the world to you. Until you have learned to deny yourself short-term pleasures for the sake of long-term joy and holiness. Until you have grown to love the Holy Spirit and long for His fruit more than man's praise. Until you count everything as a loss compared to the supreme value of knowing Christ. Your attitude will be controlled by the forces that don't honor Christ. And people do that. They spin their wheels this way all day long, dabbling in forces that don't honor Christ at all, that won't have any respect for a person or true love for a person. All the while, God is there for the grabbing for you and I to be treasured, to be, be, to be enjoyed more supremely than anything else. And out of that relationship should flow this hard work of relationships horizontally. If we can get to this point, of treasuring Christ and treasuring this, this canceled debt and being glad in that. If we can get there, we can more easily love those around us, especially our spouse. It takes a couple things. It takes realizing that there is going to be conflict in your, in your home. There's going to be conflict in your marriage. Can I get an amen? I said this earlier. Two self-centered sinners came together. Conflict is going to happen. It is going to arise. It's, it's, it's one of those things that we should learn the very onset of, hey, well, you're going to get married. It's, gonna, it's not going to be beautiful all the time. Conflict's going to happen. But here's, here's the other rea reality here and what we should realize. Because of the hard, rugged work of treasuring Jesus, that's right, this relationship, because of that hard work, enduring and forgiving is what makes it possible for our affections for one another to flourish. If, you, if you've grown out of love, start, start chasing this again. Start chasing, chasing Jesus as your supreme tre treasure. Put him above everything else. 
Make that the supreme object of your affection. And as you do that, it will change everything outwardly and horizontally. And that, and that love that he gave for you will start to be expressed in your marriage, in your relationships with friends, in your, in your, with your coworkers, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And those relationships will flourish because that love that you're giving to them is the same love that Christ has given to you. Last part of this. Then we get to go to a car wash, right? I brought my boat so they can wash my boat and my truck. And <laughs> I went mud bogging yesterday, so it's all good. No. Last part of covenant-keeping gracious love. We have to demonstrate it. And there's a difference here. Display is I'm going sh- to just do it, and it's going to be on display for everyone to see that, that this is hard work, but it's, it's, I want to treasure Christ and, and put on compassion with other people. But a demonstration is like, it's like here's, I'm showing you the model, and I'm showing you how, how this works. So go to Ephesians. This is our last passage. Go to the book of Ephesians. And it parallels a lot. A lot of what is written in Ephesians parallels what we see um, in Colossians. And, and even this passage and these passages around it kind of work together. Go home and read that. It's really kind of fun. Uh, so we're going to look at this, this passage in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 20 through to 20, 26. Again, this is at the end of the sermon after we've thought about our, our love for Jesus, his love for us, this horizontal or this vertical relationship first. And then we, then we dive into this, and, I, and I, I hope you hear and see this a little more clearly now. Verse 22 through 26 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Isn't that amazing? I, I had a couple after church uh, in the first service come, come up to me and talk about this. And, and the husband was showing the wife his, his scripture text that he had underlined. And, and what would you think? He probably said, oh, look, honey, wives. No, he didn't underline that part. Guys, if you're married, underline the husband's part. Okay, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. For you ladies, you can underline the wives' part. That's yours. But look at verse 32. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. That's a summation. But what is the demonstration that we see here? Here's what it is. The true idea of marriage, the true, the true model of marriage, should never be, I want my marriage to be like my mom and dad's. I want my marriage to be like that couple in the church or, or that couple we knew at one time when we were younger. I mean, there's some great marriages out there that we can model and learn from and grow from. We can be good examples. But ultimately, our example of marriage is the example of Christ and his union with the bride, that is you and I, the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we see modeled. So for you and I, if we want to have our marriage say something, what it should do most deeply and most richly is say something about the marriage of Jesus to the church. That our marriages are to be and aspire to be the example, an example, of Christ and the bride. That's what we want. 
And that example of Christ and the bride is what it is to be and understand Hesed love. That faithful, enduring, loving, patient, forgiving, gracious love of God that he has for us. And he says, you're mine. I'll never what? Leave you or forsake you. Too many of us say, you know what? I'm looking. There's an excuse. That's the door. I'm heading out. I'm done. I'm quitting. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that to you? But we treat our marriages like they're not that important. And this is really a time to really talk about marriages, not, not so much relationship with friends. Although they should be loving, and we should be loving them, rather. Right? And we should, we should encourage them with Scripture. Friendships come and go, don't they? People move away, and people, people die, or whatever happens. But when we decide to covenant with a person in marriage before God and others, we are saying that that union is important and that it means something important. And that our marriage is not to be seen as a marriage like it is in in the world. Our marriage is to be seen as an example pointing to the marriage between Christ and the bride where he will never give up. He'll never leave or forsake us. He will always love and his enduring love will always chase us down. That's what our marriages should be like. I'm, I'm not saying we don't go through rough patches. I'm not saying I haven't counseled couples you guys need to be apart because there's a safety issue going on here that we need to figure some things out. But ultimately, I know that there is hope for every marriage, and that hope is Jesus Christ. That hope is his faithful, enduring love that he has shown us that we ought to exhibit to our spouse. When two very different, here's the greatest thing about this, when two very different and imperfect people come together and forge a life of faithfulness, and they do it in this in this really tough way by treasuring Christ above all and relying on Christ above all, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. And we get to point people to Jesus in his covenant that he's made with us. That should be most supreme on our hearts. So my, my encouragement to you is this. Get the vertical figured out. Get this treasured and cherished so that you can overflow in a display and then demonstrate as a model the relationship God wants to have, have you to have with your spouse or with your friend, with your coworker, whatever it might be. But we have to take the vertical before we take the horizontal. And for you married couples, really, 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 please consider going to that marriage conference. Go sign up with Alistair in the kiosk. Uh, be a part of that. We'd love to have you be a part of that. I think it's going to be very fruitful. At least get some discussions flowing. All right? Let's stand and have prayer together.